This podcast does not constitute medical advice. All changes surrounding medications, diet and exercise should be made in consultation with a professional who can assess your unique health circumstances. Welcome to the Patterson Program, where you'll learn how to improve your health from the inside out. And now, your host, Clint Patterson. Thanks for joining us today on the Patterson Podcast. Special guest today, Chef AJ. G'day, Chef AJ. Hey, nice to see you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this has uh, been a long time coming. This is dedicated, uh, this podcast, actually. Our first dedicated podcast, and this one is to Ellen, who's been playing matchmaker for us for a long time. She's been really, uh, you know, on my case about you've got to get Chef AJ on the podcast. She's just the greatest wealth of knowledge. And so thanks for taking some time out. Well, thank you. And we love Ellen and she's doing so well on your program and she's just doing well in general. It's just wonderful to see that people can actually reverse their diseases and and thrive, you know? Absolutely. And we were just talking before we started recording about how, isn't it interesting that your, your sort of area of influence, which is around weight loss and my area of influence, which is around rheumatoid arthritis, the approach is is so similar, isn't it? We're talking about a low-fat, plant-based diet, and it seems that uh, you know this this incredible approach has so many health benefits. It's amazing that it's not one diet is not needed for all the different diseases. It actually is. It's a pretty much one size fits all, or at least one size fits most, because the diet that Dr. Esselstyn recommends to his patients with advanced heart disease is almost exactly the same as is the ultimate weight loss program. I mean, he does allow foods of a higher caloric density like flowers, but it's pretty much like you said, a low fat whole food plant-based diet. It it pretty much never doesn't work. It's 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 amazing. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, how did you come about uh, this sort of career that you've got now because you and I have <laughs> a similar parallels and it's quite unusual for uh, for for this combination. I mean, I've been doing stand-up comedy for 17 years. I haven't performed in the last three months since we've moved across to Florida, but plan to get back into it. You, I've watched some of your hilarious clips on oh, some major you. US television sta- shows here in, here in the States. It's a biggie, yeah. Yeah, some really big uh, appearances. And now you're, you've got this profile in a completely different genre. So how did that come about? You know, here's the thing. I think if you if you're comfortable speaking in front of people, you could have a career, whether that's showing them how to cook or, or telling them how to lose weight or, or doing comedy. I think I think speaking is speaking. And the idea is you connect with your audience. And I think humor is one of the best ways to connect, because if you can make them laugh, they tend to pay more attention. And, you know, I never plan on this career. That's the truth. If, if you know me, you know that I wanted to be a veterinarian. That's what I wanted to be my whole life. And instead, I became a vegetarian when I went to the University of Pennsylvania. But what happened is in the year 2000, I was taking cooking classes at a school that's no longer in existence. It, I think it was maybe one of the first vegan culinary schools, all vegan culinary schools, founded by Ryan Flegel. It was called Dick and Jane Cook Vegetarian. And I was just a person that was participating in these cooking classes every Saturday. And I would bring food that I made, you know, for them just because I love to cook since I was seven. And they said, oh, you're pretty good. I go, yeah, thanks. They go, well, would you like to teach a class? And I'm like, well, okay. And they go, well, you know, you're really funny. So they called it, they called it something like 
comedy cooking for health and good looking. And the idea was is that I was going to do recipes and, and be funny. And so it just, it, the marriage was natural to, to be an instructor of cooking. And to, I mean, cause I, I think I'm natural, sort of somewhat naturally funny. I like to look for the humor and things and it was great. And I found that teaching cooking was just wonderfully inspiring because I was getting more people to eat more plant-based foods. So that's, it wasn't even my idea. The, the man whose idea it was, his name was Edward and he actually passed away. So thank you, Edward, because it was his idea to, to marry the two. And I think it's a great marriage because, you know, when people laugh or, you know, also do singing, by the way, I'm not a professional singer, but I, it, when I do my, my cooking cabarets, as I call them every month, I, I do three musical numbers. They're parodies, but I, I wrote the words and I'm not a great singer, but also music. I think anything that you can get people to pay attention, they're going to learn more. And if you get them laughing, they, you know, they seem to, they seem to like it. And, and it, it's, it's, it's just such a, you know, it's dopamine. I'm sure that laughing must do something with those neuro transmitters because I know that when people laugh, they feel better. And when I make people laugh, nothing tickles me more than when I can make somebody laugh. And I just, after 30 years, it's been 30 years and a few days since I've been on The Tonight Show, I'm finally getting back into it. I started taking acting classes again, not acting so much, but improvisational comedy, because if I could have been anything in life, that's what I would have been, is an improv, not not a stand-up, because stand-up is scary. I mean, that's the other thing, Clint, if you can do stand-up in life, you can do anything, you know? And and I've, I've given so I used to be an activity director at a retirement home, and that was my job. And so I was always the one that had to give the eulogy and people like, Oh, it's so hard. Like, no, it isn't. Once you've done stand up mm. comedy, nothing is hard because that's the scariest thing. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Comedy. Uh, it took me years and years and years to develop any degree of competence in it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a beast in its own and you know, how interesting that story uh, of yours and, and yeah, I think it's a, it's a great parallel. Now, you've also done something that most people consider really difficult, which is to lose weight. Now, my audience are a particularly unique bunch in that most people listening to this are going to be saying, oh, no, Clint, don't ask her how to lose weight. My challenge is the opposite because I'm like losing a little bit too much weight. So why don't we dive straight into that? Talk, Talk about calorie density and how it comes about actually my passion. It's not a very interesting subject necessarily that you can find a lot of humor in, but if somebody wants to gain weight, just do the opposite of what I say, because truthfully, losing weight is actually quite easy. Most people do it. It's the maintaining that, that is where people really struggle. And I've, I've maintained this 50 pound weight loss for over five years now. But what I basically teach is something called calorie density. I don't know if you can see that. I'll get a nice close up. This is a magnet that I sell. Mm-hmm. And I learned this, well, I learned this a lot of places actually. It was it was taught in the plant-based movement forever by Dr. McDougall in his book, The McDougall Program for Maximum Weight Loss. Problem is I didn't actually read that book until after I lost weight. And it was talked about in Dr. Dean Ornish's book in 1980, Eat More, Weigh Less, because that is the basis of calorie density, where if you understand it, you can eat more food in volume and and weigh a lot less if that is your goal. But where I really learned it was from a book I picked up in a dollar bookstore called Volumetrics, written by Dr. Barbara Rolls. She's not plant-based, but she really is for eating a lot, lot of fruits and vegetables. And I actually interviewed her. And she has studied the field of calorie density more than anyone else in her laboratory at Penn State University, where she studies human eating behavior. And what she determined was that human beings eat the same amount of food per day, roughly. And that's usually three to five pounds. Now, that doesn't mean that I eat the same amount as, say, 
Patrick Barbubian, the small, the, the strongest man in the world who also happens to be vegan or an Olympic athlete. We all have different ages and metabolisms and heights and things like that. But on average, most humans eat about three to five pounds of food a day in order to feel full and satisfied. And the reason diets fail so many people is because they instruct them to eat less mm. food, which is very difficult. And, and so they end up getting hungry and then they end up overeating and gaining the weight back. But if you understand calorie density, you can keep the amount of food that you're used to eating every day the same because satiety, that feeling of a fullness that you get when you eat, it actually starts with the eyes. So when you see these small little portions, you already expect not to feel full and satisfied. So you can keep the amount of food you eat the same simply by changing the average calorie density. And when people understand that for the same amount of calories, in one mere tablespoon of olive oil, you can have two pounds of zucchini. They start to realize that, wow, if I wanna eat more food and weigh less, then I just need to change the average calorie density of the food I eat. And by taking oil out, which you know, pretty much all the plant-based doctors I've ever spoken to agree with not eating oil, all of them, Dr. McDougall, Dr. Furman, Dr. Gregor, Dr. Esselstyn, I don't know any plant-based doctors I personally don't. There may be some that advocates eating oil, a very highly processed food without fiber, without nutrients. Oil is 4,000 calories a pound. It is literally the most calorically dense and nutritionally poor food on the planet. And just by taking that food out of the diet, a lot of times, sometimes even other changes aren't necessary. People lose weight because in nature, foods are not 4,000 calories a pound, but oil is not a natural, whole natural food. It's a highly processed food. I don't know anyone, honestly, that can make olive oil or coconut oil in their own kitchen. You could make, you know, you could take an orange and squeeze it and make orange juice, but when you squeeze an olive, nothing comes out. Most people can't even open a coconut. But if you <laughs> stick to foods that are found in nature, like fruits and vegetables and whole grains and legumes, well, these have a average, uh, an average calorie density of less than 600 calories per pound. And most people can eat freely of these, meaning they can eat ad libitum as much as they want, as often as they want, whenever they want, until comfortably full. But unfortunately, most Americans eat something like less than 10% of their calories from whole natural food, eating instead over 92% of their calories from animal products and processed foods, foods of a much higher caloric density. And so oil, for example, 4,000 calories a pound, there's, there's no food as high in caloric density and it won't fill you up because there's no fiber. And when you eat foods without fiber, you just won't get full because it's the fiber in food plus the water in food that creates what's known as bulk and bulk is what creates satiety. And fruits, vegetables, whole grains and legumes, they have the water and the fiber intact and they're of a, a low caloric density. And then other foods that Americans eat a lot of are processed foods like, like sugars and flours, which are 1500 to 1800 calories a pound. They're inflammatory foods. Again, they're not found in nature. They go through the same refining processes, drugs and alcohol. So people that suffer with, with weight issues or food addiction, these are not foods that they would probably want to eat. But even if they were healthy, and I don't believe they are, the caloric density is so high that very few people can be lean or lose weight eating foods of, of high caloric density. And I use the distinction to the right of the red line, because if you mm -hmm. eat to the red line, you pretty much can eat all you want. And then animal products, for example, which are cause so many problems, not just in terms of the, of the people you work with, but just in general health problems, strongly linked to cancer and heart disease and diabetes and autoimmune disease. Well, again, these are foods of a higher caloric density. They average about 1000 calories per pound, some being much higher. So 
you know, if you just eat food from a plant instead of food that is processed in a plant, you're pretty much going to do okay. And you're going to either avoid these diseases in the first place, or if you already have them, pretty much reverse them. I mean, I love how Dr. McDougall says it never doesn't work. And so far, I haven't seen anybody that really does the diet the way it they're supposed to, where it hasn't worked, whether it's for the autoimmune disease or weight loss or heart disease or type two diabetes, not type one, that's different. Uh, you know, in certain cancers, I can't say that, you know, eat this way, you're going to overcome cancer, not at all. But, but I still see people improve from any disease they have. And, you know, even the psychiatric ones, which they say, you know, you can't get better. I'm not saying that you're going to get a hundred percent better, but boy, when you get the food right, it, everything really does get dialed down and improved, if not completely ameliorated. And it, it's just amazing that something so affordable and safe I think it was Dr. Campbell that said if the plant-based diet was a pill, it would be on the cover of Time magazine. But you don't need a pill. You just need to eat plants, pretty much. Yeah, it's fascinating. And uh, uh, someone asked me the other day who was who was incredulous as to why more people don't eat this way. And I had to think about what is my short answer as to why more people don't eat this way. And one of the thoughts that I had, and I know that there's many different viewpoints on this, is that one of it is just a um, a conservation of energy. You see, you know... People think that, well, I guess we've evolved to have to chase after foods and uh, whatever format of food that is, and we inherently want to conserve energy. And so if we can get high-fat foods quickly, Absolutely. then we'll go for it, won't we? And also, you know, it takes less energy to argue with someone who believes in a different opinion. So it's easier to, it's less energy to conform with the masses. It's less energy to just do what you get told by the TV commercials. It takes less energy to order a pizza than to cook a meal. It takes less energy to think about what's the truth versus just going with the flow. And so I think a lot of it comes down to just, and it's not laziness, it's the human's ability to try to conserve energy. So, you know, we need to apply ourselves this little bit of energy to get the most amazing outcomes. Have you read the book called The Pleasure Trap by Lyle and Goldhammer? Um, I met Dr. Goldhammer recently when I gave a talk at True North, and uh, he and I had a wonderful ch- chat, and it's sitting in the cab- cupboard right here next to me to read. Now, am I on the same train of thought as what he's got in the book, am I? Right, absolutely. Well, we're, right. well by not reading it, you're actually conserving energy. And it's <laughs> yeah. Both Dr. Goldhammer and Dr. Lyle would make wonderful interviews for you. They're they're such entertaining guests. In the book, they discuss something called the motivational triad, that human beings or all organisms are designed to seek pleasure, avoid pain, and conserve energy. So you've got that right. right. And also, you know, I would add also that one of the reasons people eat the way they eat is because the foods that they're eating, the animal products and processed foods are addictive and they secrete more dopamine in the brain. They give them more pleasure. They're highly unnatural and and they do cause in many people at least a low-grade addiction and it's very hard for them to not eat them once they're introduced. Now, there are people that haven't had these foods. I've met people from Ethiopia, people from Uganda that have never had processed foods. They don't have this particular problem with not eating them, but it's like they're so addictive. There, there, there were books written on this a few years ago. One's called Sugar Salt, sugar, fat, and salt, or salt, sugar, and fat, how the food giants hooked us by Michael Moss. One was called The End of Overeating, where Dr. Kessler 
and Michael Moss both explain that sugar, fat, and salt are addictive. And when you put them together in processed food and restaurant food, that they become hyper palatable and that people absolutely can't resist them. And so I think that one of the reasons people don't eat the way that we recommend is that by comparison, the way we recommend is just going to be less pleasurable, at least at first. Plus you have the whole social thing, which is just a nightmare for people. That's one of the hardest things for people is that it's hard enough if you're going to follow a plant-based diet, which very few people do, but then you say, well, no oil or like, no, you know, it's like, if you become, it becomes smaller, smaller, smaller. And most people don't want to be different than their peers and their family. It's very hard to find, especially for women, even if it will save their life and make their life ultimately more enriched. It, it, it is, it's a very hard thing for people. But I do think that if the foods weren't so hyper palatable and addictive, it would be easier for people to stop eating them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, let's talk about making the foods that we know and love and are good for us more palatable and more interesting and more delicious. So well, it's absolutely, you know, I, I have a book called Unprocessed and not all the recipes will be suitable for people following a lower fat diet. I wrote this seven years ago, so I do use nuts and seeds. My new book coming out this year will have no added fat, but it's really possible to make healthy food delicious. And I don't think you even have to be a chef. I think you just have to learn to appreciate the taste of whole natural foods like potatoes and sweet potatoes, and maybe learn different cooking methods that you're not used to, like cooking without oil. Like I, this just this year for my birthday, I got a machine called an air fryer and it's taken my food to new heights because I always thought the food I ate was delicious, but then you throw it in the air fryer and it's like even foods I didn't really care for, like mushrooms or cauliflower are now like delicious because I don't know what, what happens in that machine. What's I'm not putting anything on it, but something happens in an air fryer where you can make the most delicious and crisp sweet potato fries and French fries. And it's, so there's cooking methods that that people can learn that would help. And just, I don't know if they necessarily need recipes. They need to just start eat, you know, widening their palate and maybe eating foods that they didn't grow up eating. I certainly didn't grow up eating kale or mm. sweet potatoes, mm. and now they're, they're <laughs> two of my favorite foods. So they have to at least be to try the new foods and try them more than once. Because, you know, if, if you've ever had a baby or babysat a baby, you don't just give them the spoon. And then if they turn their head, you just say, oh, well, guess the kid's not going to eat. No, you keep offering it and offering it. And sometimes it takes multiple tries for a new food to become a preferred food. But if you keep doing it, you will learn to appreciate and actually love and then eventually prefer the taste of of this new way of eating to the old way, assuming you're not still eating that the other way, or at least not eating so much of that as the primary source of your calories. Right. Okay. Now, what about, um, I encourage a tremendous intake of leafy green vegetables yes. and, and, um, I did it the hard way and I used to, oh, and still do, I'll eat salad straight out of the bag. So I'll get those three times pre-washed bags, sure. mixed leaves, and I'll just eat them like potato chips straight out of the bag sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, I, um, I don't have a problem with the plain taste of the salads. I, I've, I've not really ever revoked it. And, but a lot of my clients like to keep asking, what can we put on our salad? So what are your thoughts around this? Yeah. Well, I actually have a free video. I have a website called eatunprocessed.com and I do all these webinars. A few of them have a small fee, but a lot of them are free. And I think it's either called What I Eat in a Day or How I Cook for a Week, where I do this little video where I call the eight secrets to superior salad satisfaction. And I give a lot of tips and tricks on how to make salads the main dish and how to make them delicious. And so 
I've, I've got to try to remember all my S's, but one of the S's, of course, is the salad. So whether it's the, the romaine or the greens, or uh, obviously for it to be a salad, you've got to have a certain amount of salad. But then one of the things I do to make it better is to add or more delicious, because I agree, I can eat plain leafy grains now too, is to add sweet. And by sweet, I don't mean sugar or candy. I mean some kind of a fruit. And you know, if you have fruit, sometimes that's all you need for dressing. Pomegranate seeds, some pineapple, whether fresh or unsweetened can, a cut up ripe pear, a grated apple, these things in a salad really make it absolutely delicious. One of the things I recently interviewed John Mackey, and one of the things I really love about Whole Foods, especially if you go to a big one, is they have the most extraordinary salad bar because they don't just have one kind of fruit. They have every kind of fruit. They had peaches and pineapple and every kind of berry. So if you can add some fruit to your salad, that's going to not only make it more delicious, but when you have vitamin C, it actually helps you absorb some of the iron in, in those leafy greens. So one thing would be some kind of a sweet, and by sweet, I mean some kind of fruit or multiple fruits. It's already going to balance some of the bitterness and you're going to absolutely enjoy your salad or even blend the fruit. You know, you can make salad dressings out of a bag of frozen raspberries and you could put in a date if it's not sweet enough or even some mustard. So there's really ways to make fruit your friend by either pureeing it as the dressing or just putting it in. You know, at True North, where you were, their salad bar, they have this huge salad bar, 24 <laughs> hours, and they have all the vegetables and then they have fruit it, it, and they have different kinds of fruit, melon. It doesn't matter whatever kind you like, but putting fruit in your salad will make it so much easier to eat a salad. So that's, I think, one of the biggest uh, tips that yeah. I can give. So that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Because normally after about 12 or 14, 15 days, people can start to introduce some kind of fruit. Blueberries is often one of the first that's ones one that's interesting. And so in to, to blend up some blueberries, um, I'm, I'm starting starting to get the picture that they could put that on their salad. Absolutely. I mean, that, that can that, be that, dressing. And they can, yeah, that, uh, now if, if your people are allowed vinegar, mm -hmm. vinegars can make amazing dressings. And by vinegar, I don't mean just your plain rice vinegar or apple cider vinegar, which is fine if you enjoy it. And some people do, but they have what's called uh, reduced vinegars or they have flavored vinegars. And these do not have sugar. The only sugar would be from the grapes. I mean, some brands may add sugar, but the brand that I love is one called Beeman Paz. It's the one that they serve at the Engine 2 conferences. So I figure if uh -huh. it's good enough for Dr. Esselstyn, yeah. it's good enough for me. And Chef Terry has probably over 30 flavors. So some are more savory because not everybody likes sweet, but some are more savory in flavors like white garlic, garlic cilantro, smoke infused, and some are more sweet like peach or raspberry and some are in the middle. And some of these are reduced means they're, they're very, very thick and very mm -hmm. sweet. And, and I actually used to love those. I Now my sweet tooth has been dialed down, so I prefer the non-reduced flavors like grapefruit or black cherry. They're not they're that sweet. And those can make a delicious dressing by themselves. I mean, you don't need any oil. You don't need any spices when you have a really good quality vinegar that you love. And you don't necessarily have to buy them online. I mean, Whole Foods sells a couple of brands I love, like Napa Valley Naturals, which is 4% acidity, so it's a lot sweeter than your typical 6% vinegar. There's other, you know, but find one you love because, you know, when, when people think of vinegar, it's, we're not talking about like Heinz white vinegar yeah. that you clean your house with. We're talking about good quality and a flavor that you like, or take a, you know, like I said, a lot of times when you have that fruit, that little bit of fruit in your salad, sometimes even just a, a, an orange squeezed over it or lemon yeah. or lime might, might be enough. Now, not everybody needs or likes sweets. So 
anything can be salad dressing. So I love pico de gallo salsa, for example, and recipe in my book, you can buy it. So on a salad, that's delicious. And salsa, again, Mm. sometimes can be made with mango instead of tomatoes. Mm. Oh, yum. Yeah, that's good. So salsa on a salad can be your salad dressing, plus you're getting in more vegetables. Believe it or not, hummus when, especially if you'll thin it out with a little water or a little bit more lemon juice, that makes an incredible salad dressing. Uh-huh. Mixing, blending hummus with salsa in a blender, that's a terrific salad dressing. If people can eat more fat, like in terms of avocado, nuts, or seeds, very, very easy to make a delicious salad dressing using those things. So it's, it, and, and again, if you have something wet on your salad, like if people eat beans, for example, especially if they're salt-free beans from a can, they have a certain amount of wetness in them those things just make salads absolutely delicious. Also putting something, I like to put something savory on my salad. So for Mm -hmm. example, if I'm going to roast vegetables, which I do often, I especially love to roast things like Brussels sprouts and I often roast them in balsamic vinegar and Dijon mustard. Having something like that on the salad makes it more, more interesting. Also having different textures on your salad. So for example, if you just ate a bowl of lettuce, it's kind of might be boring for a lot of people. But if you have that with, with, you know, something crunchy, like I always like one of the S's in my eight, eight secrets is snap. So something like some jicama or some celery or something that's that's crunchy to to to, mm-hmm. to balance that, or maybe I have some cooked roasted sweet potatoes. Just different flavors. Uh, one of the things I love to do, I don't eat salt, so sometimes I'll put a piece of sea vegetables in there. Maybe tear up a couple pieces of yeah. dulse or or a yeah. nori sheet. So I, I I think eating salads is an art. We're actually in my group. We're doing something called the, the Salad Days of September, where for thirty days everybody's posting a photo of their huge salads and and. <laughs> The variety is endless. When it comes to salad, you you could probably eat a different one every day of the month, probably every day of the year. When you think of all the possible combinations with vegetables and fruits and and different vinegars and and and, and dressings and never. Oh, the other thing to make salad. I don't know if you allow starch on your program, but if you do, sure, sure, sure. Um, you know, if you just eat a salad, if you just eat lettuce, it's 100 calories a pound and you can eat a pound of it and you might get full for like 20 minutes, but you're going to be pretty hungry. So I always recommend adding some kind of satiating starch to my salad. I happen to love cooked grains like rice or millet or quinoa, either hot Sometimes I like combining hot with cold or even leftover cooled. I love putting a leftover sweet potato on my salad cut up. So some kind of starch like beans to, to give that the stick to itiveness. But again, like if, if your viewers have a Whole Foods near them, I mean, they, they do an extraordinary job because their, their salad bar isn't just like lettuce, tomato, cucumber. It's it's like like four stations. Yeah. It's it's got it's like so many choices of the grain, of the bean, of the green, of the fruit. It's 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 extraordinary. I mean, if I could, I mean, True North does a pretty good job too. But yeah. if I could have, God, if I could have like like I, you know, by the time I put everything on, it's a twenty dollars salad because it's about I think like seven ninety five per pound. Uh, but it's it's extraordinary, and, and they can get used to just eating these different flavors and varieties, and 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 they can they never need to be bored because the 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 there's just so many possibilities. And you know, like the people that don't like greens, for example. Well, you know, having a mouthful of raw kale probably wouldn't be very pleasant for me. But if there's a tool that I recommend, it's called an ulu knife, U-L-U. They're from Alaska, but you could get one in the States called the mezzaloon. And sometimes if you don't like something, if you cut it very small, it's less offensive to you. So if you take things like we have a Trader Joe's here with a blend called Cruciferous Crunch, and it's red cabbage, green cabbage, Brussels sprouts, kale, 
it's one other thing in it, but it's cut so small that it, it just, it just goes down so easy. So sometimes it's how you cut things and you kind of want And I, so I love taking my Ulu knife after I have all my ingredients and then actually getting a wooden bowl and chopping it because it, it is kind of hard to just have these big mouthfuls. But if you have a chopped salad, which like if you go to a restaurant, they'll charge you four or $5 more. You can make it at your home. You could even use a food processor if you're very gentle, you know, on the pulse blade. It, you could take this much volume and reduce it to about this much volume. It makes it delicious because it's all uniform. It makes it easy to eat. But if people can learn to fall in love with salads and it, at least we always say at least eat one salad the size of your head every day, preferably two, they'll be healthy. If, if they want to be lean, that's also a way to do it because you really just uh, you can't go wrong eating salads. I can't imagine any diet style that will tell you not to eat vegetables. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And what I find really interesting is that you know, even even approaches that we consider to be sort of ridiculous, like a paleo approach and like yeah. uh, approaches that involve, um, you know, meat, meat uh, foods, I notice that the people who improve on those improve temporarily and often through the elimination of oils and through eating lots of greens. So it's not that it's not the cleaning up of the meat that's done it. It's the reduction of one of the worst offenders, which is the oil and the addition and yeah. the addition of the best thing possible, which is the greens. And it'll get you so far. And then you'll, Absolutely. you know. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, when I when I lecture, I always talk about how with the exception of those very strict weighing and measuring programs that tell you to eat only seven ounces of vegetables. Other than that, every diet style, whether it's low carb or paleo or zone or Atkins or Weight Watchers, they emphasize eating as much fresh fruits and vegetables as possible, especially vegetables. And, you know, it's interesting because I just attended and spoke at Dr. Neil Barnard's International Conference for Nutrition and Medicine, and they talked a lot about Alzheimer's and people always associate blueberries as brain berries is something to help prevent. And, and blueberries are great, by the way. But the lecturers, the medical doctors were saying, no, that the food that is absolutely most correlated with preventing Alzheimer's wasn't fruit. It wasn't blueberries. It was actually vegetables. And it's also the food most correlated with having a lean body. The people that eat the most vegetables have the lowest BMI and body weight. You know, Dr. Esselstyn uses vegetables therapeutically. He tells his heart patients to eat steamed greens the size of their fist six times a day to help um, heal their endothelial lining of their of their vasculature. So it's amazing because it's like the food that most people don't eat at all. Like most Americans eat, I know it's less than 10% from fruits and vegetables. And I think some Americans eat no vegetables. I think it's something like 3% is how many people actually eat vegetables. <laughs> food is lowest in caloric density is yeah. the food that's highest in nutrient density yeah. and the food that most people are not eating any of or anywhere near enough of. And it's, 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 it's astounding yeah. to, you know, that, that, you know, your mother was always right. Eat your vegetables. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also the favorite food of uh, gut bacteria. So what we're doing is we're creating a wonderful microbiome at the same time. It's just so, it's, 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 that's what we're meant to eat. You know, people yeah. say, we're omnivores. Well, maybe we are, but we're also herbivores, I think, because we eat, you know, we can stand to eat quite a lot of our, our, of our food from, from vegetables at raw or cooked or both, you know, and, uh, 
They, they really are. They really are. Oh, the other thing, what I love to talk about, and I didn't even know this at first when I started my ultimate weight loss program and insisted that people eat large amounts of vegetables, at least two pounds a day and, and, and one pound for breakfast. People thought I was nuts. Well, if this was in the literature back then, I just didn't know about it. But there's compounds in vegetables, especially the green leafies and the dark green leafies that actually turn off the hunger switch, that actually make us feel not hungry. And that for those that suffer with food cravings, particularly for sugar, that annihilate them. It's it's just they really are. They're really almost magical. The, the trick is how do you get people to eat them? Because they're so low in caloric density, they just don't simulate yeah. that amount of dopamine in the brain that gets people excited and wanting to eat them. You know, but but when people can really do them, and and you can learn to tolerate them. And then you can learn to actually love them and then actually to prefer them. And when people say, well, I hate vegetables. Well, okay, so I was that person until I was 43. I didn't eat a single fruit and vegetable. And that's how I got to be about 200 pounds with the beginning of colon cancer. And the way I started eating vegetables was the same way I started exercising after 50 years of inactivity. I started eating the vegetable I hated the least. And I just, I kept doing it. And then, and now I just, when I don't get vegetables, like when I travel internationally on a cruise, I feel like I'm going through withdrawal, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. My my dog is sitting on my lap and she's like, <laughs> he's supposed to be a hypoallergenic dog, but it's like, Bailey, come on, you're making me all, my nose it. So, what are your thoughts? So, so people don't think I'm crazy. There really is a dog here. Yeah, okay. little Bailey, little Bailey. <laughs> all right, little Bailey. Tell me what are your thoughts uh, on green smoothies for people who are really struggling with eating their greens? I think, I think that, for people that will not eat vegetables any other way, it's a great introduction to vegetable eating because they can control how much green they put in relative to fruit. And I think it, it, it floods their cells and bathes them in these micronutrients and it kind of opens the door to that because I know that I didn't go from drinking Coke Slurpees to eating steamed vegetables in the morning. The green smoothies were a great right. bridge for me. However, if somebody is trying to lose weight, Liquid calories are not favorable. But that said, if somebody said, well, if I don't, you know, juice or blend my greens, I'm not going to eat any. Well, of course, I'm never going to say, well, then, then don't do that. But but if somebody is struggling to lose weight, it's not the most favorable way. But it is just a great way to get more greens in a person, especially somebody like a child or an old person or somebody with um, with teeth issues. I think I think they can be great. Please keep in mind, though, that green smoothies can vary from one that is mostly greens. I've seen people with green smoothie recipes that have like one leaf of spinach and coconut oil and cacao nibs and almond butter. Um, that's <laughs> not green smoothie. The operative word in green smoothie should be green. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, I uh, I recommend them to people who are struggling. Yeah, and uh, absolutely, absolutely. And that's how the, we start. Yeah, and my recipes are normally just um, blueberries and baby spinach. Yeah. Or a banana and baby spinach. I mean, two ingredients, simple yeah, and, and it, as clean as possible. You know, you yeah. know, I travel a lot, and people say, "Well, how do I eat healthy when I travel?" Well, mm -hmm. most airports I've gone to has have a place like a juice place, like a Jamba yeah. Juice. And yeah. even if you don't see it on the menu, I have gone there, and just like you say, I've said, "Can you please make me a smoothie? Water." kale and blueberries or maybe yeah. a frozen banana and they'll do it if they have the ingredients they'll do it even if it's not on the menu yeah mm -hmm. and those those can be very refreshing i think of now i think this smoothie is sort of like a treat you know yeah yeah absolutely yeah me yeah. too we're they're delicious there's some up the road here melissa and i get them as a treat especially on a hot day you know they can mm -hmm. be amazing and it's but and sometimes it's fun to even freeze them in like little ice cube trays and then like you can eat the ice cubes like 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 popsicles right that's what uh, yeah. one of our clients who had a uh 
who has a son who's been through uh, juvenile idiopathic arthritis and recovered using Patterson program. He gets all of these wonderful treats from his mum, all of these amazing healthy treats. And Christine, her name is, who creates all these uh, different treats, has come up with all these different ways of creating amazing nutrition that tastes great for her child. And he, he's doing unbelievably well. I think for kids, yeah. you you know, I, I think most kids aren't going to just down a spinach no. smoothie without a little bit of fruit or something. But, that's right. but the thing is, like, you can make it pretty sweet for the kid and then, like, just a little bit, take a little bit less every day, you know, till, right. till it's, it's, you know, right. they're getting actually more greens. And, you know, certain, like, here's the thing, like, spinach is pretty neutral. I mean, it's not like, you know, I mean, kale, you know, dark green kale can be pretty bitter for people that yeah. haven't had it before. But spinach is so neutral. Like, I have gotten people, like, children, to eat green smoothies with spinach just by putting a little bit of carob powder or cocoa powder in and they don't even know that they're green yes yes absolutely absolutely all right. Well, we've uh, we've covered some some interesting territory here. I've I, I've taken some notes, and I'm sure a lot of people are excited to try out uh, the area around the green salads. You've got a um, video that people can watch by going to eatunprocessed.com. Um, you will find lots of videos on there, uh, including one all about salads. And I've taken some some notes here. We can add some fruits. We can add some certain types of vinegars, not the cheapos from the from the regular grocery store. We can add. Some salsa is another option on top of the salad. I yeah. love hummus, absolutely. Some diluted hummus if we're still at the stage where fats are a little bit of a challenge for us with our digestive system or with inflammatory arthritis. Some savoury options. Uh, the seaweed was a great tip, and that's something that, you know, I'm a little delinquent. I should have been mentioning that I used to put lots of seaweed on my salads too, and just like yourself, dulse or wakame, depending. Sometimes they're really hard, the wakame, and they can hurt you a little bit if you're not, if they're in too big a pieces. And then some sweet potatoes on the salads as well. So there's been some great, some great tips there. I thought of one more that I that I, awesome. that I don't do this often, but my friend Sharon McRae taught this to me. Like if somebody already has soup, like maybe they've made a red lentil chili or a split pea soup, as weird as it sounds, but a little bit of hot soup on a salad, it's delicious. It's delicious. And that, that, that can be your dressing. Mm-hmm. And it, it really does. It's really good. And mm-hmm. especially if the salad is more, is more like, like a, a sturdier green, like a, like a kale or a spinach, it sort of just kind of wilts yeah. it nicely. So kind of this hot, cold combination, it can be really delicious. Yes. Fantastic. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, Thank you very much for coming on this episode. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people got more questions, but I want to respect your time. And we can go to eatunprocessed.com yeah, where we can chat more to Chef AJ. You also, I noticed you've got a weekly uh, Wednesday um, yeah, live, I do it. live <laughs> Facebook. Yeah, at, at four PM Pacific time. I didn't. I had no idea that this was going to go on. I was. I was trying to broadcast. It's funny because I was trying to broadcast to my own group, which I know how to do now. But I pushed the wrong button, and I ended up broadcasting to everybody. So now I'm on my forty fifth episode. It's called Weight Loss Wednesday. Yeah. It's four PM Pacific time. If you just follow Chef AJ, don't have a personal page, and then you can ask questions in real time or go to YouTube and watch them within twenty four hours. And yeah, it's it's kind of fun, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually just watching it when you uh, messaged me and said, hey, I'm ready to go. And I'm like, hang on a sec, because I was watching it and I was enjoying it, you know, and you, yeah, yeah, you were, yeah, very entertaining. So uh, I thanks again. I some of your stand-up. Where can I find that? Um, my YouTube channel, just for uh, YouTube, Clint Patterson. Um, okay. There's a, uh, there's a mixture of stuff on there, uh, stuff around what I do relevant to what we're talking about. 
and then some bunch of uh, of YouTube videos. Uh, some of it more on the older side. You know what happens? You kind of you uh, te- you tend to when you're starting out in your career, you post every clip you've ever had, and right. then as you get better and better, you're like, you know, I've got better things to do than to yeah. put stuff online. But yeah, there's some there's some stuff on there for That's sure. Exciting. Well, you should go to the vegan cruise and, and and entertain on the cruise ship. That would be amazing. I would love to. Um, in fact, uh, our friend Dr. Clapper is going to be on that. Um, he's coming our way. Uh, now that's at the end of. It's usually March, February, or March. It's in February, and I think it's heading to Australia. Wow, Ooh, yeah, that'd be fun. which is where I'm from. Um, wow. And I've, I, uh, I need to uh, get back to him and talk because uh, he, um, he's going to come over this way, and and I'll have the pleasure of hosting his oh. hosting him here for a couple of nights. I hope um, him and his wife, Elise. Uh, you should do a lot of videos with him while he's there. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That'll be like the Dr. Clapper time. Yeah. Yeah, so it'll be exciting. But uh, you'd love to. Are you going on that cruise? I did it for three years. I haven't gone recently. It's wonderful, and I recommend it. But I was thinking, you know, have vegan stand-up comedy. That would be, You should talk to Sandy Pukel. That would be a wonderful addition. Well, I'll have to get uh, the contact details after yep. we get off the call. Absolutely. Um, and did you do stand-up on that cruise? I didn't. I actually okay. taught and gave lectures but you know when i do cooking it's you could almost call it stand-up because i'm i'm riffing with the audience and i'm in the moment and saying inappropriate things occasionally so i i kind of consider my cooking a little bit like stand-up because i never know where it's going to go sure sure okay well thanks so much once again it's been a real real pleasure uh everyone head over to eatunprocessed.com thank you chef aj for your time thank you been listening to the Pattison Program. For more information, visit pattisonprogram.com.